last few months and you may have noticed last week that we took a bit of a jump. Uh, we did a subtle leap from the middle of chapter 21 to the start of chapter 26. I was kind of hoping you wouldn't notice, but then I thought I'd better explain uh, for, for those who did notice. We aren't normally in the habit of, of leaving out a chunk. Uh, if we're doing systematic teaching like that, we'll try to, to be consistent and to, to carry, uh, carry through all the way. We've purposely chosen on this occasion to, to jump over a few chapters, and the reason is that I'd like to use the next few weeks, just in the run-up to Easter, to study the, the very central passages of the Easter story and to do that in a systematic way, uh, the way we normally do it. I've never done that before. Uh, normally when it comes to Easter, I just pick and choose passages as I get near to the Easter season. But what we're, what we're going to do this time is, is try and look at, uh, in a comprehensive way, the, the stuff that Matthew teaches about the Holy Week events. So that's, that's why we're doing what we're doing. If you're worried about the stuff that we've missed out, don't worry, we'll get back to that sometime soon, um, and we'll have a look at what Jesus said and did in those missing chapters. I wasn't much good at English literature in school. I don't know if anybody else suffered the, the same. I, I was more of a maths and science guy when I was a teenager. So my lowest grade at GCSE is in English literature. I always loved reading, but I just didn't understand what all this analysis uh, was all about. You know, why you would read a perfectly good book and then write essays about it. Why not read the next book and the next book? So I, I remember being presented with these questions and assignments and just thinking, oh, goodness. You know, for example, if, if it was Merchant of Venice, you'd been studying um, compare and contrast the central characters of, of Shylock and Antonio. You know, when I was a 15-year-old fellow, I didn't find that easy to do or something that I wanted to do. Well, maybe I'm going to exercise a few demons today because I am going to do a compare and contrast with you. Uh, we're going to do that together as we look at the two of the central characters uh, in the, the last days of Jesus' life, Judas and Peter. We're going to discover that they have actually more in common than we maybe imagined, but that there's one massive difference, and it's a difference that's so important that it ends up being a matter of life and death for these two men. The big thing that Peter and Judas have in common is that they both betrayed Jesus during his final hours. In the passage that David dealt with last week, we were given a, a bit of a behind-the-scenes um, on, on what Judas was up to, the preparations he was making to betray Jesus. In verses 14 to 16 of our chapter, we learned about the arrangements that he was making to hand Jesus over to the Jewish authorities. So from this point on, if, if you were reading that gospel straight, cold, not knowing the gospel story, you'd feel like an insider to the action because you'd know it's a bit like watching a film where there are parallel scenes running at the same time. You'd know that while Jesus and Judas are still sharing company as a rabbi and his disciples, you'd know that one of these disciples is behind the master's back going to prepare to betray the master. So there's a mole in Jesus' camp. There's a, 
uh, a betrayer uh, already in there. So we know all that because we have read it. Jesus knows it too, is the thing that we discover in our passage this morning. Look at verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad, and they began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus answered, The one who's dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. So Jesus is in no doubt that Judas is going to betray him. When we thought about this last week, uh, we, we recognized that it's hard to tell exactly what's going on in Judas's head, why it is that one of Jesus' 12 close disciples uh, decides that he is willing to betray Jesus. But Matthew, Matthew's narrative is very skillful at this point, and he gives us an insight into Judas's state of mind. Judas doesn't seem to recognize the authority of Jesus in the way that the other 11 disciples do. So we're told in verse 22 that each one of them in turn had called Jesus Lord. But in verse 25, Judas calls him rabbi or teacher. Now, if if that only happened once, we wouldn't think too much of that. But, But this continues right through into the Garden of Gethsemane. It's there that Judas finally hands Jesus over to the temple guard. And if you look down to verse 49 of our chapter, we read there that Judas went to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Judas is still calling Jesus Rabbi, teacher. So he's impressed with Jesus' status as a teacher. He may well be impressed by the 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 content of Jesus' teaching, but he doesn't at least explicitly recognize the authority of Jesus. Have you ever seen that anywhere before? People who respect Jesus say they like his teaching but aren't willing to, to say that he's Lord, that he's boss that he has a role in their lives. Folks, I would have thought that's a pretty common experience in our world today. We're comparing Judas and Peter just now, and Judas isn't the only one who betrayed Jesus in the last days before his death. Peter, the the disciple who right the way through had shown himself to be the strongest, the most vocal, the most gung-ho, the most... If anyone was going to stick for Jesus, it was going to be Peter. Peter let Jesus down, and again, just as he did with Judas, Jesus knew that this is the way it was going to be. Look at verses 31 to 35. Jesus told them, this very night you'll all fall away on account of me. 
For it's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night, before the cock crows, you'll disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Jesus warned his disciples that they were going to to deny him or betray him. and, And every one of them, Peter included, says that they won't. Now, I want to be fair to Peter for a moment because actually, if you know the story, he's the one who stays around the longest He's the one who who goes farthest with Jesus. Uh, The the other disciples, they they seem to have fled sometime when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane when the, the mob arrived to take Jesus. But Peter makes it as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and we read there of how he he denied Jesus and then he wept. Whenever Judas betrayed Jesus. He did a terrible thing. But he wasn't alone. And I suppose that's what we're seeing here in this moment of comparison. When we read these Holy Week passages, we see that all of those who were close to Jesus betrayed him, denied him, deserted him. Whenever they realized that Jesus and his coming kingdom wasn't about power and glory, that they weren't going to get what they thought they were going to get, that his kingdom was a kingdom of a cross and not a throne, then every one of Jesus' disciples slunk away into the darkness. It struck me as I was thinking about this, these disciples... They, they stand always, I think, as a reasonable barometer of, of how we get on at following Jesus. There are differences. Some of them are more explicitly failing than others. But the one thing that these guys all have in common is that they all betray, deny, or desert Jesus. And folks, I want to ask you this morning, are we not among them? Are we not among those who deny, desert, or betray Jesus? Jesus is the loving creator of this world. He made us only so that we could know his love and his his friendship. And yet it seems to be in our nature to turn our backs on him. to, To try to live without him. To choose other things to love and to desire and to to make the center of our lives. Some of us might be like Judas. We're, We're very explicit about all of this. We'll make it very clear that Jesus isn't going to be our Lord. So we reject him and and we trade him in for some other way of life. Sometimes it is as stark as that. But for some of us, it's like the other disciples. We're, we're happy to be with Jesus while the times are good. 
while being in the Jesus crowd is the cool thing to do, while the, the sun is shining and it's, it's on our faces, we're happy to be with Jesus. But once things change, once things become a little uncertain, we quietly slip out of view. And, and maybe some of us are like Jesus. We're convinced that we'll never, or sorry, like Peter, we're convinced that we'll never let Jesus down. Our, our faith in, in Jesus, our commitment to him is unshakable. It's unshakable until, well, until it's shaken. It's unshakable until we see what this, this involvement with Jesus is going to cost us. Once the risks of sticking with Jesus begin to come clearer into focus, once there's any sniff of danger, and so whether we're like Judas, whether we're like the other disciples, or whether we're like Peter, one by one, we slip away. We slip away and fall back from a full commitment and we deny Jesus. We've compared this morning Judas and Peter and we've seen that they have more in common than we imagined. But we've seen as well that we maybe have more in common with all of these disciples than we have given thought to previously. It's human nature, it seems, to deny Jesus. Let's take a moment, though, to contrast these two figures. So far we've established that they had more in common than we realized. What about the difference? Well, as we look at these two characters of Holy Week, we see one massive difference. And the crucial difference between these two men who betrayed Jesus Christ is how they respond after their failure, after their betrayal and denial. And this difference, I've said, is so important that it becomes a matter of life and death. We read about Judas' response in chapter 27, verses 3 to 5. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. He returned the 30 silver pieces to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. He went away and he hanged himself. This is how Judas responds when he realizes that he's betrayed the Son of the living God. He's remorseful. He, he wishes he hadn't done it. But notice what he doesn't do. He, he doesn't seek out Jesus. He doesn't go to Jesus to find the forgiveness that only Jesus can give. He carries the burden of his actions himself. And when this burden became too much for him, he chose to end his life. Folks, I wonder, is there anyone here this morning who, 
who carries the anguish of Judas. Suddenly you're beginning to realize that you have never chosen to make Jesus Christ your Lord. You realize that as you look at your life, you have made decisions and are still making decisions that demonstrate how you are are not obeying, loving, and following Jesus. All of this is real in your life, but you're beginning to see it. God's Spirit is opening your eyes to all of this. Don't settle for remorse. Don't settle for regret. Come to Jesus. Come to the one who calls his his betrayer friend. Did you notice that? That's what he calls Judas in the garden. Come to Jesus, the one who as they nail him to a Roman cross, prays for the guys who are doing it and says, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Come to Jesus, the one you've rejected, the one you've betrayed, because only he can forgive you. Forgiveness, in the end, was Peter's experience. We don't really see that in Matthew's gospel at all. We see it most clearly of all, I think, in in chapter 21 of John's gospel. After all his, his failed promises, after his public denial of Jesus, Peter knows that only Jesus can make this right. He'll either live the rest of his life under a cloud or somehow he'll stand face to face with Jesus Christ and something will have to change. I wonder, did Peter remember Jesus' words in this chapter that we've read this morning? Verse 32. After I've risen, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter knows, probably not in this moment, but but afterwards, he has this promise of Jesus that he can be found in Galilee, ringing in his ears. Guess where Peter goes after he betrays Jesus? Peter heads for Galilee. And there he comes face to face with the risen Lord. And and if you know this passage at all, it's, it's one of the most powerful in all of Scripture. Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He's not doing that because Jesus is slow on the uptake or because Peter didn't hear him the first time. He asks him three times because he's taking him back to the high priest's courtyard, that place where three times he said, no, I don't know this guy. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter looks through his tear-filled eyes at Jesus and he says, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then after, 
after Peter has reaffirmed his love for Jesus, Jesus says the thing that's most surprising of all for me. He repeats to him the first words that he'd ever said to Peter three years ago on a Galilean beach. He says, follow me. Peter, you have you've let me down. In the moment when I needed you, you walked away. But I know that you love me. And all that you've done to fail me and disappoint me is gone. You're forgiven. Let's go. Follow me. Folks, we have one thing in common. Each of us, every disciple of Jesus who's ever lived, we disappoint him, we desert him, and we deny him. We do it sometimes like Judas, sometimes like Peter, sometimes like the other disciples. We give our allegiance to other things and chase after them. We run from Jesus when the going gets tough. It's in our nature. It's the essence of sin. But today I want you to forget about all of that and make it not the center of this story. What we have in common is there. We've recognized it. Folks, as I close, I want to ask you, which of these men, Judas or Peter, most characterizes where you stand today and how you see your future? Are you like Judas? Are you a person who, who's decided that I'm going to carry all of this myself? This is a mess I got myself into. I've rejected Jesus all my life so far, or, or I've failed him recently. This, this is it. This is me. And I'm going to carry it, and I'm going to face the consequences. Folks, let me just point you to the the biblical story of Judas and suggest to you that that's not the right way to live. But folks, can we be, can we do the thing that Peter did? Can we who have failed him and hurt him and disappointed him seek out Jesus? Can we take the wounds of a lover, someone who's going to ask us to think that all through again and confront us with it? Can we, can we do that? And can we look at him and tell him that we love him? Folks, we have a cross outside the church there today. It's something that we do. If, if you're new here this year, you maybe haven't seen it before. We do this every, Christ, every Easter to remind us that Jesus Christ went to great, great lengths because he loved us and longs to forgive us. Folks, do we want to live a life where that cross doesn't matter? Shall I ask the fellas just to put it away that actually we don't believe that anymore? Jesus died in vain and all that's, that's just not important to us anymore. 
Or can we be cross-centered Christians? Ones who recognize our complete failure and brokenness. But the absolutely astonishing love and grace of Jesus. Come to him. Find his forgiveness. Let me pray. Father God, we've, we've always hoped that we are better than Judas, better than the, the disciples who ran away, better than Peter maybe. But Lord, today we've seen that, that more likely we're just among them. We're just a part of, of humanity, people who who reject you and deny you and and run from you. But Lord, today we've seen your astonishing grace. We've seen it in how you dealt with Peter, how you forgave him, how you restored him, how you made him a man that he had never dreamt he could possibly be, how you built your church on his gospel ministry. Lord, when we look at Peter, we think he's a write-off. That's it. He's blown it. But you look at Peter and you see a man ready to be restored for a wonderful life. Lord, help us not to carry our sin ourselves. Help us to give it to you and to know the smile of your grace and your forgiveness. Amen.